we have been for some time in the book of Ephesians, and so today we're going to be back in Ephesians chapter 4. It's a, a rather lengthy passage of scripture that we have today, and so I, I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to read the first verse, and then we'll come back to the rest of the passage kind of as we walk through it today. Ephesians 4, 17 says, With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. And so today, I'm going to preach on the converse or maybe the better explanation of what that just said, and that is to live like Christ. To live like Christ. We are in a a world and in a culture where Christians, for the most part, and and maybe by, by number at least, are no different than the world around them. That when you run into a Christian or somebody who says that they are a Christian, they're not usually all that different from the person down the street or the person at the next, next desk or the next cubicle that says, I'm not a Christian. They don't live a whole lot different than the people around them. It was just in the last couple of elections that we had people that were running as Republicans. They would run as Republicans and they would... Uh, present themselves to be conservative or maybe a little more moderate, but definitely on the conservative side of the scale. And then when they would get elected, they would do things that were the opposite of what they had run on. And there was a name created for them, and that was Rhino, a Republican in name only. And unfortunately, I think we have a lot of people around us that they are Christians in name only. Only that they they say that they're Christians, they say that they're living for God, they say that they're serving God, but they're not really any different than anybody else, which means they're Christians in name only. So, a few questions would be what exactly should a Christian be? How should a Christian live? Why do we not have Christians that are different than they are? Why do we have so many Christians that? say, are people that say that they're Christians, but their lives have not been transformed, their lives haven't been changed, their lives are no different than they were before they came to Jesus Christ. And and I would tell you this, that if your life is no different than your non-Christian friend, or your non-Christian family, or your non-Christian co-worker, why would they want to serve the Jesus that you say that you serve? Why would they want to change their lifestyle? Or, or why would they want to at least change their allegiance? Maybe the reality is they wouldn't have to change their lifestyle if you're living or Christians are living just like them. If they're doing the same things and going to the same places and having the same attitudes, then why bother? Why bother showing up for church? Why bother spending time in the Word of God? Why bother spending time in prayer if it's not really going to do anything and it's not really going to affect my life? Why should I do that? 
I would tell you, though, that we are not called to just be like everybody else. We're called to be different. We're called to stand out. We're called to live like Christ in this world. Not just in the future, not when we get to heaven. We're called to live like Jesus Christ right now. So what does that look like? How, how is it that you and I are supposed to live? And how are we supposed to interact with the world around us? I'm going to give you a, a long list of things that come directly from the Scripture. Going back to the first verse we, we read, I'm going to, there's a section here in this passage that is about the attitude of a Christian. But, but Paul starts by saying this. He says, I tell you this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Now you have to understand a little bit of the background. A Gentile in the Scripture is anyone who is not a Jew. That anyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. Now that has some implications for us. What that means, at least in this particular culture, in this setting, is that the Jews had a certain kind of morality. They had a certain dedication and devotion to the God of the Old Testament, who was the God of the New Testament as well. They had a devotion to Him, a dedication to Him. And so they lived differently already than the rest of the world. The world that they lived in was a world of idolatry, a, a world of paganism, a world where there was a myriad of gods and you would go to the marketplace and in order to get into the marketplace, kind of be like the farmer's market, the river market downtown, in order to even go and buy, you had to offer incense to a god as you walked into the entrance of the marketplace. And, and everywhere you went, you're offering incense, or you're offering a sacrifice to this God or to that God because they served all kinds of gods. It was, it was a different God that made the rain, and it was a different God that made the sunshine. And so you had to keep all of these gods happy, but the Jews weren't like that. They served one God and one Lord only. We actually saw that in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one they were different they weren't participating in the pagan rituals they weren't participating in idolatry they weren't participating in immorality they were different and so paul writes this he says don't live like the gentiles don't live like everybody else don't live like all of these people but but even in that context of the, the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews being somewhat moral and, and, and following God, Jesus actually upped the ante on them. The Sermon on the Mount, He says, you've heard it said, but I say. And Jesus elevated what it meant to be a follower of God. He elevated what it meant to be a, a person who was ultimately going to serve Him. And He said, you've heard it say, don't murder I say, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder already. And thing after thing, he goes down this list of telling people that even those who are Jews, who are, are moral, who are serving one God, he said, let me tell you, this is what you've heard, but let me elevate it and say, this is what it means now. And so even in that context, now Paul is saying, don't live like everybody else. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to live different. You have to have a different attitude. You have to have a different mindset. 
And he starts off this whole section with talking about the people that aren't Christians and, and how they live and how they think and what their attitude is. Verse 17, he says, they are hopelessly confused. They think they know, but they don't really know. They think they're enlightened, but they're really confused and they're, they're in Darkness, verse 18, they're, they're, they think that they have all of these things going on, but they really don't have a clue. It's kind of like being a freshman in college or in high school. You think you know everything. You don't really have a clue what's going on. And then when you get to be a sophomore, that's when, that's when you really think you know because you're no longer a freshman. But the reality is you, you haven't even come close to arriving And that's what they're like. They think they're enlightened. They think they have all of this knowledge. They think they understand how the world works, but they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. Paul said they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. That it really wouldn't matter what the facts were. It really wouldn't matter... What the truth is, he says, they have closed their minds and they have hardened their hearts. I would tell you that we live in a culture that is very similar for a lot of people. That you could go to them with the truth of Scripture or you could even just go to them with facts about the world around. They don't want the facts. Because there's a narrative or there's an agenda that they want to follow and what they want to believe. And they don't care what the facts are because they have closed their mind and they have hardened their heart. And it's not just about the world around them, but it is about the God of the universe. Creation versus evolution, it's an easy, it's an easy kind of discussion, really. People that propose evolution, they will tell you it is the theory of evolution. It's just an idea. It's not provable. It's not scientific because you can't prove it. You can't replicate it. You can't observe it. So then it becomes a theory of how things, were, how things came into being. The, their own laws of science... The second law of thermodynamics, which says that things go from good to bad. That if you leave things alone, they will deteriorate over time. They don't get better. You don't all of a sudden have people, our animals, our, our individuals, our things that get, get better with time. They get worse with time. It's, it's a law of science. You can observe it. You can replicate it. The law of biogenesis, which says that, that life can only come from life. They've never taken anything that wasn't living and made it come alive. They can't do that. Life only comes from life. And they believe that, but then they believe evolution, which stands in total opposition to the laws of science. It stands in total opposition to the the Word of God. and, And ultimately, when you get down to it, everything had to come from somewhere. And no matter how far back you go, that's something you're going to end up with is the uncaused cause, or you're going to end up with the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence. 
but their minds are closed and hardened against God because they don't want there to be a creator because if there is a creator, then you might be accountable to him and you might have to follow him and you might have to serve him. And and if you do things that the creator doesn't like, there may be consequences. So they've hardened their hearts. Verse 19, these people Paul's talking about, he says they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost almost 2,000 years ago. But when you read this and you look around, you're like, he could be very well talking about today. That they have no sense of shame they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity and and i could throw this in here because in paul's day there were only two genders it was male and female that was it reality is that's still all there is but looking around at our world today and what do you see you see anything but that and you can't call them a male and female and because you, you, may not be, you may not be sure. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure. They practice every kind of impurity. But Paul says that's not what you've learned about Christ. Verse 20. But this isn't what you learned about Christ. That Jesus is not like that. He's not like the world. He's, he's, not, he's not all about shame. And He's not all about living lustfully. And He's not about serving idols. He's not about doing all of these things. That's not what you learned about Jesus. And so the, instead of living like the world, you have to live like Christ. You have to have the attitude and the mind of Christ. He says, it wasn't like the Gentiles. He is the opposite of that. That whatever is bad in the world, God is the opposite of that. Because He is all good all the time. Verse 21, truth comes from Christ. That He is the source of truth. He is the one that gives truth. The Bible says He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. It's only through Jesus Christ. And living like the world doesn't get you into heaven but coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ will get you into heaven. And when you get in that relationship with Him, He says you're to live different, you're to be different, not like everybody else. Verse 22, replace the old sinful nature with the new. That's why it's called a a new birth. It's not just a second birth, but it's a new birth that causes us to be new creatures in Christ Jesus. That we're to be transformed when we come into a relationship with Him. We're to be transformed when we repent of our sins and we're baptized in the name of Jesus and we're filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence and speaking in other tongues. Our lives are to be transformed. And He says, when that happens, put on that new nature. Take off the old one and put on the new one. And and if I was into illustrative sermons i would probably have a big robe i'd be wearing it was all nasty and all dirty and spots on it and and torn and ripped 
And it's part of this imagery. Paul uses it in a lot of places. But he says, take off that old nature. Take off all of those things that he just said about the Gentiles. Take all of those things off. And then put on that new nature that comes with Jesus Christ. Put it on. Wrap it on. It's, it's going to be different. It's going to look different. It's going to act different. It's going to cause you to be different. Put on this new nature. Get rid of the old sinful ways. Verse 23, allow the Spirit to renew your thoughts and your attitudes. All of us, all of us have struggles in a variety of different ways. I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe there's somebody who you're here, you don't, you don't struggle with stuff. And, and, and by struggle with stuff, that, that means a lot of things, but it, it could also mean that sometimes we struggle to have the right attitude. We struggle to have a, a holy or righteous attitude. We struggle to not let that old nature come back. And somebody does something wrong to you. Jesus said you turn the other cheek. That's the new nature, but that old nature sometimes is like, I'm going to get you back. Anybody struggle with that besides me every once in a while? I mean, we don't need too many examples, but, you know, I'm not a person, I'm not given to road rage, but I can see how if you're in a hurry and somebody cuts you off, and, man, you've got to control that. And he, he says, though, that the Spirit will renew our thoughts and attitudes, but the key is to let the Spirit do that. To allow the Spirit of God to work in us and to work on us and to transform our thoughts and our attitudes. And if we're no different than our co-workers, then we're not allowing the Spirit to operate in us. We're not allowing the Spirit to transform us. If we're still holding on to that old sinful nature, why would anybody want to serve the Jesus we serve? But we need to get off that old nature. Let the new nature be upon us and transform and renew our thoughts and our attitudes. Paul said it this way in Romans. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Allow your mind to be renewed. And, and that comes through not only the Spirit of God, but it comes through the Word of God as we allow God to do it. But it's not just a passive thing of allowing and say, hey, I'm here, Lord, just change me. But sometimes we have to do our part, which is spend time in His presence through prayer and worship and spend time in the Word of God, and it will transform our thoughts. It will transform our attitudes. Verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That this new nature is to be different, is to be the opposite of everything that the world is doing. It's to be kind and to be compassionate, it's to be loving, it's to put others first, it's not to be pushing your own agenda, but it's to be doing what is right and what is best for those around you. And then real quick, as hopefully I'm coming to a close, 
not only is the attitude of a Christian something we need to emulate, but he gives in the next eight verses, he gives the actions of a Christian. And I'm going to go through these real quick, but, but understand this before I, I delineate these right actions, understand that right actions flow from a right heart. That it's not enough just to do the right things. That if your heart is not right, the right things get you nowhere. If you're not in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, doing good things means absolutely nothing. It may mean people like you. But it does nothing for your salvation. It doesn't get you to heaven just because you do right things. There are a lot of people in our world that are very kind and very compassionate. They may take care of the poor. They may help the afflicted. They, they, may, they may help their neighbor and they may go out of their way to do all kinds of good things. And they may give to all kinds of charities. But right actions apart from a right heart do no good at all. It is only when you come into that relationship with Jesus Christ are you saved. It's not about doing the right things. But when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, there is now an expectation that you will do right things. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He says, it's not that you can do all this good and say, I'm saved because I've done all these good things. He says, it's not about works, or then you could boast and say, I got myself to heaven. The Latin phrase is sola bootstrapsa, that I got myself to heaven by my bootstraps alone. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Anybody ever heard that phrase, pull yourself? You probably haven't heard sola bootstrapsa. <laughs> that goes along with another of theological things and about by faith alone and all of these things. But Paul says, you can't get there by works, but verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, he says, but you are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that the good works should follow the salvation that you have experienced. And so you're to live a certain way, but it has to flow from a right heart or a right relationship with God that doing good things. And I'm going to go through a litany of things here, this list, and you can do everything on this list, but let me tell you, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, according to how the Scripture says, as Jesus said in John 7, 37, believe on me as the Scripture says. That if you're not in a relationship with Him like the Scripture says, doing right things does absolutely no good. So what are these? Verse 25, he says, speak the truth. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. So he said, if, if you want to be like Christ, stop telling lies, but speak the truth. Verse 26, control your anger. He said it this way, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you have an anger problem, you need to turn it over to Jesus. Because he says if you have anger, 
and you go down and you keep that anger and you don't get over it and you don't let it go, you will end up giving a foothold to the devil. And ultimately, you can lose out with God if you don't control it. Verse 28, he says, we are to do good. He says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But if you're a thief, quit stealing. And you don't have to teach little kids to steal. They, they, they see something that they want, they take it. Anybody did that when they, done that when they were a kid? Hopefully nobody's still doing that. That candy bar looks good that Johnny has over there. I think I'll help myself. I've always liked to eat. I don't know why I bring in illustrations about food. But, but he says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. We're to encourage others. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Encourage others. Don't demean them. Don't put them down. Speak good to them. Don't abuse them verbally. Don't use foul language, but speak words of edification and words of encouragement. That's what a Christian should do. It's not what the Gentiles do. Verse 30, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. People have sometimes asked the question, why is it the Holy Spirit? And there are a myriad of reasons why God chose to use that phrase or that name or that title of the Holy Spirit. But as you can see, even the way it's written here in the New Living Translation, which is what we're using, do not bring God our sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. That God is holy, God is beyond us, God is transcendent, God is perfectly pure and righteous and there's no sin in Him and there's, there's nothing bad or nothing evil in Him. And so it stands to reason that when He describes His Spirit, His Spirit is holy. But it's not just that God's Spirit is holy, but when God's Spirit comes to live inside of us, it is in part to make us holy. That He declares us holy when He fills us with His Spirit but we are now to work out and to begin to live up to what He has declared us to be by living holy in the world. And every time we live in a way that's not pleasing to God, in the words of Isaiah, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul said it this way, do not bring sorrow to His Holy Spirit. We are to get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Verse 32, instead we are to be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There are a whole long list 
of things here. And, and as with any of Paul's list, whether positive or negative, it's not an exhaustive, exhaustive list. It's that Paul doesn't list out every wrong attitude. He doesn't list out every wrong action. But it's just kind of a, an example of here's what they're doing that you shouldn't be doing. Here's how you should live. So the reality is it's not about creating a, a checklist from Ephesians chapter 4. It's not about going down and say, okay, yep, I, I didn't steal today. No, I, I didn't curse anyone out today. I wasn't verbally abusive today. I, I did something good today. I helped my neighbor out. They, they needed their grass cut or they needed this. It's not about a list. It's not about a checklist. It's not about just going, okay, I, I, I'm doing pretty good according to this small list of things today, so I feel good about myself. But it's ultimately, it is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That when you are in a relationship with Him, it's a two-way street. It's not just, it's not a one-time decision where you decide that you're going to follow Him and then you, you, you pray a prayer and you ask God to forgive you and you have a salvation experience and you go on your way and now you just live according to a checklist. It's not about that at all. It's about an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. That every day, it's about God, here I, here I am today. Help me to live in a way that's pleasing to you. Help me to live in a way that is how you want me to live. Help me to get rid of any of those old remnants of this sinful nature and, and help me to put on any of that part of the new nature that I haven't been living up to yet. And, and Lord, help me to live different in the world. Help me to be, as Jesus said, salt and light so that others will see me. But they're not just seeing me, but they're seeing you in me. There's only, there's only two real focuses of the Christian life. And people probably can boil this down in any number of different words that they would choose to use, but, but I'll, I'll boil it down to these two just because they start with the same letter. That's what preachers do. You use a lot of alliteration. But it's about maturity and, about, and it's about mission. It's about growing closer to Jesus and, and growing deeper in our faith and becoming more like Jesus. But it's not an either or. It's not, it's not maturity or mission. It's maturity and mission. That I, I, I should be growing closer to Jesus. I, I should be growing more like Him. And I, I should be reflecting that new nature more and more. And that the longer I live for Him and the longer I serve Him, the more I show Him 
off to the world the more they see that new garment they're not seeing that old garment which was spotted and torn and nasty but they're seeing something new and something different and the reason for that is because we're also supposed to be on mission which means we're supposed to be bringing everybody we can into relationship with Jesus Christ calling them into relationship with him and saying let me tell you about the Jesus that I found let me tell you about what he's done in my life and and how he's transformed me and how he's changed me I'm so proud of Bill Bill has been telling all of his family about this new relationship with Jesus that he that he has telling his siblings in Iowa and in Colorado and we got his sister and brother-in-law that are going to be baptized here at the end of service today we've already baptized Bill and Ann and Adrian and Aubrey but that's that's what it's about sometimes people they, they come to God and they're They get all about this maturity thing. And they get so focused on living right and doing right that they forget about the mission. And it's important how we live. It's important to do all these things. There's a reason it's in the Scripture because it's what God wants us to do and what He wants us to be. But if all we do is focus on maturing and we don't keep in mind the mission, then we're missing out. And in fact, the more mature that we become, the more about the mission we should become. And in my observation, in, in my 48 years, it said, unfortunately, many people who say they're the most mature are the less focused on others. So in all of your doing good and all of your having the attitude of Christ and having the actions of Christ, don't forget that there's a purpose for that and that is so that you can reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand together? So let me ask you a couple of questions. I asked some at the beginning. Are you living like everyone around you? Is your life any different because you know Jesus? If your life is no different, then either maybe you don't know Jesus or you're not letting Him work in you like He needs to. And it doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be you do something good and you go, Hey, look at me. I'm living like Jesus. That's not what He did. It's just, It doesn't have to be that you put a neon sign. You don't have to announce your good deeds. They'll notice when you're living like Christ. I was thinking through an example. I was trying to come up with a good example. And there are are numerous examples that we could look at in, in church history or in a variety of settings. But I thought about an elder from the church we were at in, in St. Louis. His son 
was the pastor for the Everett Williford. He's in his 80s now. I've known him, I guess, 25 years or so. Never once have I seen him exhibit a bad attitude. Never, never once have I seen him demonstrate being upset. Never once have I, I heard anybody talk about something he did and how he hurt somebody's feelings. But just the epitome of what it means to be a Christian. Putting others first. Faithful. Never missing a service. Never missing a prayer meeting. Lost his wife to death probably some 15 years ago now. Actually more than that. Didn't change his faithfulness. Didn't change his belief and his trust that that God is a healer. And that God is at work in his life. So you don't know Everett Williford. And so I'm not asking you to be like him. But what I'm telling you is you need to be to live like Christ. We can find that in His Word. And so today, as she gets ready to sing, I'm going to ask these last two questions. What is it that you can change today? What is it that you're maybe doing or not doing that you know that God wants you to do or not to do? What can you change today? And to put it in maybe that biblical language that Paul used, what can you take off and lay aside and what can you put on to live like Christ? So would you think about that? There's a few more people in here than normal, so I'm not going to have you come to the front. I just want you to, to meditate on that as she begins to sing. And when you have those things in mind, would you ask Jesus to help you to make that change, to take off some of that old man and put on some of that new man? Be a vessel that you work through. I want to be a vessel that you 
raise it one last time. Would you lift your hands and make that your prayer today? I pray today that your spirit would empower us, that your spirit would help us to be everything that you've called us to be. Lord, we want to experience a complete transformation from what we were before we found you or before you found us into everything that you want us to be. Lord, your word tells us that we are destined and predestined to be conformed to the image of your son. And Lord, we know that that won't be complete until we get to heaven, but Lord, help us to be more conformed to that image today. Help us to continue to grow and to make progress in our maturity and our relationship with you today. Help us to continue, Lord, to seek after you. Help us to seek after you and to push forward into relationship with you. But God, help us never to forget the mission that you've called us on, which is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, let this be the prayer of all of your people today, that they would live like Christ in this world, that others would see the difference and others would be impacted by your spirit, that we would be everything that you've called us to be. God, we want to be transformed to everything that you've called us to be and you want us to be. I don't want to be satisfied, Lord, with where I am. But I want to be more like you. We want to be more like you. And would you lift your hands just one more time where you are? Would you just... Make that your prayer, Jesus. I want to be more like you today. I want to be transformed, Lord, into what you want me to be. I want to experience that new birth, that that rebirth of water and spirit. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I want to be done but I don't feel that I would be following what I feel the Lord is telling me today and that is that if you are here and you've never made a decision that you want to follow Jesus Christ you've never said, Lord, I want to turn from my way and I want to turn to your way. If you've never asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins, if you've never repented and said, Lord, I'm sorry for all the things that I've done that I shouldn't have done and I want you to forgive me because of what you did on the cross. If you've never done that, I'm going to invite you to do that here in just a moment. 
And I mentioned we've got a couple that are going to be baptized today. But not only is it just making a decision and not only is it just telling God you're sorry for the sins that you've committed, but there is an obedience to the gospel as we follow Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible says we are buried with Him in baptism. And so whether you came prepared today to do that or not, if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission or the washing away of your sins, you can do that today. The water's almost hot. So right now, would you, would you close your eyes one final time? And if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never made a commitment to follow Him, would you do that right now, Jesus? There is no way that we can get to heaven apart from you. There's no path to salvation through our good works. It is only through your work on the cross. It's only because of what you've done. And Lord, we commit ourselves to following you. We want to follow you completely. We want to set aside everything else. We want to set aside religion and religiosity. We want to set aside anything other than following you as the path to heaven. Lord, forgive us of our sin today. Forgive us of all the things that we've done that are displeasing to you. Forgive us of all the things that we haven't done that you've wanted us to do. We ask for your forgiveness. We repent of those things in Jesus' name. Sing. Thank you so much for being here. I know a special day for, for those three families that we had up front. And if you're a guest here just because of that, thank you for joining with them today to celebrate that. I'm going to dismiss you. As I mentioned, we do have Mike and Jackie. They're going to be baptized here in just a few minutes. If you're uh, available to, feel free to stick around. If not, we understand. Thank you for being here. Pray that you have a great week, and we'll see you next week. God bless you in Jesus' name. Oh,